0: Now I want you to think about the sin that you struggle with. We don't use that word sin in our larger culture, but it's something that Scripture clearly says is reality in each one of our lives. That there are things in our lives that dishonor God that Scripture calls sin. And each one of us has our individual struggles with sin. There's not one person in here that's immune to struggling with sin doesn't matter how young or old, trust me, I have small children and I have parents and grandparents. And so I want you to take a moment, and if you want to write it down, you have a slip of paper in the back. I'm not going to ask anyone to raise their hand and share. Um, That might get a little bit awkward. But I want you, maybe for you, it's a big deal to write it down. Maybe you've never written it down that this is what I struggle with. Or maybe it's just something that you want to put in your mind and say, this is something sinful that I wrestle with and is a weakness for me. Because as we get into the message today, the reality is that bad character will ruin your life. And if we don't deal with the sin within us, there will be a moment, there will be a crisis that sin will manifest itself and it will ruin your life. So, hold that in your mind, piece of paper, whatever, and you'll get to revisit it through the message. Back in the 1600s, there was a, a town, it's still there, a little bit outside of London called North Whip, Wickcomb. And in this town, they got sick of the mayor getting drunk all the time and not taking care of the city in the proper way. So, they finally stripped him of power, kicked him out of his position. And made a new law that once a year the mayor would be physically weighed to make sure that the mayor was not abusing his or her position of power. So every year, starting in the 1600s, they would weigh the mayor and at the weigh-in, one of two things would happen. The person who weighed the mayor would say... Here, let me give you a picture too. The, The people would say... "No more," or the waiter would say, "No more," and that meant that the person had not gained any weight. And the crowd would cheer and shout, basically symbolizing that this mayor had not taken advantage of us over the last year. Now the other thing that could be said was, "Some more," which meant that the person had gained some weight. And at the words of some more, the crowd would take rotten fruit and vegetables and booze and jeers and throw it at the mayor. This still continues to this day without the throwing of rotten fruit as a symbol of being a person who functions with integrity. Imagine if all our politicians were weighed on a yearly basis. I wonder if that would change anything. Or I wonder if it would change anything for us if we are symbolically weighed on a normal basis to weigh our character and whether or not we're functioning with integrity. This morning, we're jumping into Saul's life. And the issue with Saul was bad character ruined his life. Andy Stanley states that the problem with all our decisions, good and bad, is that we were there for them. Because no matter who you want to blame for them, you were there for the worst decisions of your life and the best decisions of your life, and you were the one making those decisions. We can easily blame shift and say, well, that was somebody else, and they caused me to do that, but ultimately, a lot of it plays back to our own character, and that easily bad character can ruin our lives. Whatever decisions you've made, spiritually, financially, relationally, you were there for them, and your character was playing out in those decisions. It's interesting, too, that if you have good character, it never makes the news. You don't turn on the nightly news or read wherever you read news and see, wow, there's a happily married couple, or wow, there's kids that are doing great, or wow, there's a person who's went to their job faithfully and followed all the rules and done an excellent job. You never hear about any of those things because there's no sensationalism to people who have good character. But right away when bad character comes out, it hits the news. And if for you, maybe it might not hit the six o'clock news, but it'll hit news with your friends, your family, maybe on Facebook or whatever social media profile. Did you hear about? And the reality is bad character makes the news and you don't necessarily want to make the news. In our journey through the book of 1 Samuel, we are doing what's called character studies. And it's interesting that we're using the word character because it talks about basically somebody's, who they are beyond the surface. And over the last few weeks, we've talked about a couple different people. We've talked about Hannah. We've talked about Samuel and Eli and his sons. And now today we arrive at Saul. Saul is the first king of Israel. And oftentimes Saul doesn't get talked about because we love to talk about David. But Saul was really the first king of Israel. And let me give you a little background about how Saul came into his power as king. Samuel was the last judge and high priest, not the last high priest, but the last judge in Israel. And throughout his life, he had a couple sons, and he positioned two of his sons as judges in Israel. But his sons were not honest, they were greedy, they took bribes, and they were not like Samuel, who was functioning with integrity. So the elders of Israel came to Samuel and said, Samuel, you're getting old, man. And your sons aren't like you. They aren't like you. They aren't people of good character. And so we can't follow their lead, so give us a king. Give us a king, basically, to replace your sons and to replace you. Samuel was disappointed. He was probably a little bit angry. Who knows if it was personal because it was a family thing. And so he goes before God and says, God, this nation asked for a king. What should I do? And God said, they aren't rejecting you, Samuel. They're ultimately rejecting me, God, as their king. But give them what they want. Give them what they want. And so Samuel said, okay. Now, as we continue on in the story, there's a man named Kish, a wealthy man. And he has a son named Saul, and Saul is a tall, handsome man. He, he literally said he's probably the tallest man in Israel at the time. And if you think about a king or a, position, or a person in a position of authority, don't most of us want somebody attractive? If we're honest with us, I know it's really vain, but don't we want a good-looking person in a position of power? Isn't that why you hired me? <laughs> Was that supposed to be funny? Oh. <laughs> At least he didn't throw rotten fruit and vegetables. But here he is on the outside. He looks like a king. And also you have to recognize that Saul is not pursuing being a king. The story actually catches out with him. He's pursuing some lost goats. And he ends up in front of Samuel. And Samuel anoints him as king. And here's One of the first ideas is that God chose Saul for his purposes and God has chosen you for his purposes. If you are a follower of Christ, you did not choose God. He is the one that made the first move in your life. And so he is the one that pursued Saul and said, Saul, I want you to be king of Israel. Jesus puts it this way in John 15, 16. You didn't choose me, but I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit. God made the move. And also realize that when God made the move, he didn't say, Saul, I want you to be king and go do it on your own. It actually states in that passage that God gave Saul a new heart and filled him with the spirit of God to empower him to be the king that he called him to be. The Christian life is not meant to be done on your own. When God chooses you, he says, I'm going to breathe into you my life so that you can become the person I've created you to be. And there's the the kind of dilemma between having good character and God's work in your life. It's a partnership with God. It's not simply God gives you good character, but he gives you all the tools that you can head down that proper direction. Well, Samuel, after this empowerment of Saul as king, gathers the whole nation together. Saul's been appointed as king, but he's not been a, he's been anointed as king, but not positioned as king. And so now Samuel gathers the nation, and he says that we're going to draw lots. We're going to bring out who this new king is. So the whole nation's gathered. They draw lots, and it falls on Saul. But Saul is nowhere to be found. They can't find Saul. The new king is not in this whole gathering of the nation. Where is he? He's hiding in the baggage. And the only thing that I can figure out of why he's hiding as he's a fearful man. He's fearful of people, and he's fearful of the position that he's being positioned in. And fearing people more than God will ruin your life. It's a good thing to fear God, but when we allow ourselves to become fearful of people, it will ruin your life. What is it that you fear the most in your life? What is it that drives you in your life? Because whatever you fear the most will control you. I saw a bumper sticker the other day that said, I live with fear every day and sometimes she lets me go fishing. But what is it that you fear? What is it that you fear in your life? What is it that is controlling you? Because if it's anything besides God, it's going to destroy your life. Now after Saul is positioned as king, he heads back home. There's no palace. This is the first king. He gets back home. And before you know it, one of the surrounding nations decides to attack one of the cities. It threatens the city that if they don't surrender or even if they do surrender, they're going to gouge out one of everybody's eyes to symbolize that they're in control of the city. And so the the city in Israel sends out news and says, hey, come and rescue us, and Saul is filled with the Holy Spirit, a righteous anger, rallies the army and goes and defeats this army. It's his first victory. It's a good victory. It's a good win for Saul. It seems like Saul is on the right trajectory. And at this, after this victory, Samuel comes and says, Okay, the king is positioned. I was the judge. I am now resigning. And here's my little resignation speech. And so he gives a little resignation speech and this is part of it. He says this to Saul and the people. Now if you fear and worship the Lord and listen to his voice and if you do not rebel against the Lord's commands then both you and your king will show that you recognize the Lord as your God. But if you rebel against the Lord's commands and refuse to listen to him then his hand will be as heavy upon you as it was upon your ancestors. Fear, worship, Listen, do not rebel. And if you jump to verse 25 in that chapter, you'll also see the same thing. Fear God above everything else. And it's healthy to have a healthy fear of God. God is the one who controls everything. God is the one who's in charge. This is not trembling, I'm scared of God throwing random lightning bolts at me because he's moody. No, this is... A fear of God that says, you are God and I am not. I am the created, you are the creator. You are in charge, I am not. Jesus put it this way, if you think this is just Old Testament style, don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They cannot touch your soul. Fear only God, who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Fear of God is good. But when you begin to fear people, or positions, or other things like that, it will ultimately ruin your life. I feel like we're being trained in our culture to be fearful of having real conversations about Jesus. That we're fearful of offending somebody, and their offense is greater than pleasing God. And so we remain silent about our faith out of fear. And we go, well, maybe if I say something, somebody might get offended, or somebody might not and I just don't say anything. Because what if? Well, what if that person that God is nudging you to talk to is actually a person in need of a savior, a person in need of hope, in need of life, and God has chosen you And sent you as a messenger. Are you gonna fear rejection more? Are you gonna fear them posting something negative on social media about you? Or are you gonna fear God more? Say, I'm not afraid of people who can kill me. I wanna fear only God, who after being destroyed can throw me into hell. Fear of God is a healthy fear. And ultimately, we need to fear God over it all. And the early followers of Jesus, they got this. They understood this verse. Do you know that only one of the 12 disciples died a natural death? And that happened after he was boiled in oil and abandoned on an island in prison for his faith in Christ. Do you know that right now? There's... Thousands, hundreds of thousands of believers who are being persecuted simply because they believe in Jesus. And we're afraid that we might offend somebody. Fear only God. Well, back to Saul. Saul moves on from his first military victory. And the nation around him, the big other kind of power, actually probably larger than Israel, was the Philistines. And they see that there's this king who's rising. And so they gather their army to come after Israel. And they put together an army. It says there was 3,000 chariots, 6,000 chariots. So they probably doubled them up so if one got killed, the chariot could keep going. And then it says there were foot soldiers they couldn't even number. This is an epic battle that the Philistines are getting ready for. And Saul gathers his army. And he's told by Samuel... Samuel says to him, wait till I make a sacrifice before you go out to fight the Philistines. And so Saul gathers his army and he's waiting and he's waiting and he's waiting and and Samuel's not coming and the army starts to get fearful and they start abandoning him. It says in scripture that they went and crawled in caves and holes in the ground. Like his army is disappearing and he's sitting there in fear and surrounded by people who are in fear. And so what does he decide? Instead of waiting for Samuel to come and make the sacrifice, he decides to take it into his own hands and offer the sacrifice. And with any good story, here Saul offers the sacrifice, and who comes walking up? Samuel. And he says to Saul these words, How foolish, Samuel exclaimed. You have not kept the command The Lord your God gave you. Had you kept it, the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom must end. For the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. The Lord has already appointed him to be the leader of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. Bad character will ruin your life. And it literally ripped the kingdom away from Saul. The kingdom that was meant for Saul was taken away because of his bad character. There's nothing in this passage that's said about Saul's response. There's no, I'm sorry, I was wrong, I made a mistake, you know, forgive me, I repent. Nothing is said by Saul here. How do we respond when somebody confronts us with our sin? Maybe this morning you're experiencing some little twinges. Do we respond and just say, whatever, I'm getting hot here. I don't want to deal with this. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's a loved one. Maybe it's some other way. Maybe you're reading a book and you're confronted with your own sinfulness. How do you respond to that? Do you ignore it? Do you shove it under the carpet? Or do you allow it to come out? Because actually, I believe it is the love of God that brings it out, that says, here's something. If you don't deal with it, it's going to ruin your life. But Saul just ignores it. And he continues on as king. But his downfall has already been predicted and it's coming. In 1 Samuel 15, Samuel receives a message from God. And God tells Samuel to go to Saul and tell him that, Saul, you need to gather the army to go wipe out the Amalekites. Because the Amalekites had harassed Israel for a long time. They were a wicked nation. And literally God was saying, I want to use you, Saul, and your army as a tool for my judgment against the Amalekites. And it's, such, it's phrased in such a way that Samuel tells Saul that I want you to completely annihilate the Amalekites. Men, women, children, cattle, everything. Annihilate them. I know some people struggle with that concept, and I'm not going to get into it this morning, but there is some great explanation to why God would have that happen. And the largest one is God knows how wicked people truly are. And who are we to judge when God says it is the end of a wicked group of people? We are not God. We can find it easier that he sends a worldwide flood to wipe out wickedness, you find it a little bit more challenging when he sends an army and a, another human individual to take care of wickedness. But anyways, so here Saul's commanded to go. So what does Saul go and do? He goes out. He wipes out the Amalekites, kind of. He decides that he's going to keep the king alive. He decides that all the good cattle he'll bring back with him. And he also decides, it says in scripture, that anything that was pleasing to his eye, he was going to keep and bring back as plunder. So literally, he doesn't destroy them all. He plunders them. And he brings back all the things that are good. And so Samuel, here's another word from God. And God is just disappointed with the king. And so Samuel goes looking for Saul and he begins to ask, hey, where's Saul? He came back from his battle. Where is he? And this is a very telling verse about Saul. This is what is told to Samuel. Saul went to the town of Carmel to set up a monument to himself. Then he went on to Gilgal. So in other words, God asked Saul to go do something. God gave Saul victory And then he finishes the battle, not obeying, and decides that he is the one that got the victory. And the the best thing to do is not worship God, but set up a monument to himself. That look at what I did. Look at what I accomplished. Look at me. Can you believe how incredible I am that I did this all on my own? What about you? What are the monuments that you're building to yourself? What are the monuments in your life that we forget to recognize that God is the one that has given us everything, life, breath, every penny you have is ultimately from God? It's easy to walk around and be like, here's a monument to me. Maybe it's that car you've worked so hard for and you're like, this is my monument. Look at what I've done. Maybe it's a house. Maybe it's it's some plaque on a wall. They can look at and say, "Look at what I accomplished, look at what I did. All of us can easily build monuments to ourselves. And ultimately what Scripture calls us is idolatry. Saul got back from the battle, and he didn't worship God. He worshiped himself. And we have to be very careful when we have victories or defeats or when we accomplish something, we need to recognize that ultimately God is the one that has allowed us to do this. So the Bible tells us that Samuel goes and confronts Saul. And this is what Samuel says to Saul. What is more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience to his voice? Listen. Obedience is better than sacrifice. And submission is better than offering the fat of rams. Rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft, and stubbornness is as bad as worshiping idols. So because you have rejected the command of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. I remember when I lived in England for a few years that I don't know what was going on in my life, but I was really frustrated and really ticked off at God. And I remember heading out one day, I I used only public transportation then, I was headed up to the bus stop and I can actually see where I was on the road. Where I was walking, and as as I was walking down the road, I just had this feeling like I just wanted to go and do something bad, just to spite God. I'm such a good pastor. (laughs) I was just like I'm ticked off, and I just want to do something like just to spite God because I was so angry at him for some reason. And as I'm walking along, this verse, this exact verse, came to mind: Rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft. And just kind of stop me. How many of you would go home today and if you, you have a spouse or whatever, a friend, and you said, hey, uh, don't mind me, honey. I'm going to just go and practice some witchcraft. I'll be back in a little while. Or don't, man, don't mind me. I, I just got my idols. So I'm going to just go worship my idols for a little bit. I'll be back in. We wouldn't say something like that, but many, many of us are very comfortable with rebellion and stubbornness. And here, God is saying, rebellion is just like witchcraft. And stubbornness is the same as worshiping idols. That when you have those sinful things and you don't deal with them, it's the same as practicing idolatry and witchcraft. Unfortunately, from this point in Saul's life, It just begins to plummet downhill. It doesn't get better. It gets worse. Saul's kingship is being taken from him. Samuel goes and anoints David king, but doesn't position him as king. Saul is still in the position as king, but God removes the spirit of God from Saul and sends a troubling spirit to Saul. So even though he's in the position as king, God has removed him. And remove the anointing from him. And as Saul's life goes on, he becomes more fearful, paranoid, and just almost a madman. He's completely went off the deep end. And ultimately, at the end of his life, he falls on a sword in battle and takes his own life. And David is positioned as king. Because through the course of his life, his bad character ruined his life he didn't deal with it early on and it ultimately led to his downfall later on and the same will happen for us maybe it's not pride maybe it's not fear but all of us have our own sinful tendencies that we can hold on to in our lives that if we don't allow Christ in there to deal with it it will ruin our lives so what do we do with bad character do we just bemoan moaning and be like this is just the way I am I'm sorry, I'm going to ruin my life. Leave me alone, Mark. Or do we actually deal with it? And here's some simple ways that we can deal with it. First is be humble. Saul building a monument to himself was the exact opposite of that. (laughs) Be humble. James 4, 6 says, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Recognize who God is and who you are. Next, become aware of your sin. Some of the things in your life, maybe you don't even realize they're sin. We all have blind spots. So what we do with that is, how do we become aware of our sin? Romans 7, 7 says, if I didn't know the law, I wouldn't know sin. And so what we actually need to do is get in God's word and understand from God's perspective what right and wrong is. Not from the latest sitcom or latest trend what right and wrong is, but get in God's word. And if you need me to point you to some of those those passages I can do it. And here's a list in no particular order of some of these things. Greed, idolatry, uncontrollable anger, bitterness, rage, gossip, sexual immorality. And the list can go on and on and on and on and on. But we have to become aware of our sin before we can actually deal with it. Then after we become aware of our sin, we don't excuse it. Don't say, that's just the way I, I am. We confess it. 1 John one nine says, If we confess our sin to God, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Also, James talks about confessing your sin one to another. To find somebody that you can trust to confess your sin to. I remember the first time that I confessed some sinful tendencies I had to some physical person, and how that disarmed the power of sin in my life. So you don't excuse your sin, confess it to God, and then pray for God's power in your weakness. The apostle Paul struggled with sin, and he said, in my weakness, God's power is made perfect. Do you know that if God wanted, he could have taken all your sin and sinful tendencies and removed them when you receive Christ? But for some reason, we still have them. And one of the only reasons I can figure this out is that God wants to demonstrate his power in our lives through our weakness. That your greatest weakness and sinful tendency can where, God's, where can become where God's power becomes the most manifest in our lives. But we need to allow God in to those tendencies. Saul is an example of bad character ruining his life. But we don't have to go down the same route. And remember, developing character is like developing your body. It takes time, it takes effort. It takes continually going back and confessing and getting right with God and praying for God's empowerment. But we need to deal with the sin in our lives. Otherwise, that bad character will ruin our lives. I want to give you a moment here to deal with the sin in your life, we don't just do this every week. And if you're new to us, just realize this isn't all the time. But the altar's open. And for some of us, we might need to drive a stake in the ground and say, God, today is where I begin dealing with this issue or issues of bad character in my life. It's not a silver bullet coming up here and saying, God, forgive me, and boom, it's gone. This is just a beginning point saying, I'm going to do the hard work of allowing you into these areas of my life. And if God is stirring in you and saying, there's a character issue, I'm not saying you have to come up here, but maybe it would be helpful you to come and kneel and just do business with God, or maybe just in your seat where you're at. But we want to give you this last song as a moment to deal with your own character, And ultimately recognizing that it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. It is his love that exposes character issues because he wants us to become who he's created us to be. He's not doing it because he hates us. He's doing it because he loves us. And so I'd encourage you that if you want to respond, feel free to come on up and pray here. Nobody has to pray with you. If you want me to pray for you, I'll be sitting right in the front row here. But you can just come up and talk to Christ about what's going on. And if you want us to pray for you, or one of the elders, there's a few elders here, and they'd be more than willing to pray for you. So let's take a moment to pray, and then this time is yours. Father God, messages like this are not easy messages, but ultimately they're out of your love and grace for us. That we need your character. We need you to develop good character in our lives because those sinful tendencies, if we leave them unbridled, unchecked, undealt with, they will destroy us. And Father, you have sent your Son to deal with sin. That is why you died on a cross to take the full punishment for our sin and our rebellion so we can freely come and receive forgiveness and new life and grace. And Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters. I know just like me, there's sinful things I struggle with. And may we not leave them undealt with. And Father, as we take a moment to reflect and do business with you, God, may we not allow fear to hold us back. But simply step on and say, God, I am yours. And I need your grace, I need your forgiveness. I'm drawing a line in the sand, putting a stake in the ground that I'm going to allow you to develop your life within me. That I wouldn't ruin the life that you've given me. God, may you meet with us in these moments. In Jesus' name, amen.